Yesterday, I, uh, yesterday morning, it was about 9 o'clock. I was so thankful that the sun was shining. Anybody else? Anybody with me? Amen. That I uh, put on my sweat jacket, like my, you know, just my hoodie and my jeans and long sleeve shirt and took my computer outside to review today's message. It was 49 degrees and I did not care because I wanted to see the sun, all right? So we have another guest today in the sky. It is a big yellow orb called the sun. We hope it stays, right? Uh, So thankful that it is back with us uh, over the last few days. At the beginning of the year, one of the things I know that we've done a couple times this year, accidentally really, we had a family gathering last night. I saw this happening last night is something about the end of the year, the beginning of the year leads us to look at pictures and review things that happened in the year gone by. And last night was one of those occasions. My kids were looking at photo albums from years gone by for them and for us as a family. And uh, I was doing the same thing because I was looking for a specific picture on the hard drive of my computer. And I, I could never find the one picture I was looking for. But when I was looking, I found some pictures from 2010. And, and I don't have them for you this morning, but let me just tell you a little bit about them. They were from 2010, and I was on a trip to Guinea-Bissau, West Africa. And we've been going to Guinea-Bissau now for over 10 years. Uh, I've got the privilege to get to go back at the end of February with a, a small group of us as we're going to go back and try to uh, video and try to encapsulate some testimonies of some folks there so we can update you on what's taking place in 10 years um, in Guinea-Bissau. So we're excited about that. But I was looking for some pictures. I stumbled across them from 2010 specifically on a medical mission trip to Guinea-Bissau. And one of the pictures is a picture of, a, of an African hut in a village, a, a little compound there with a fence around it, and there are hundreds of people pressing in. Now, because here's what happened. We let them know ahead of time that we had four American doctors, three nurses, and then three of us. Like We, we were preachers and helpers, all right? That we were coming to do a medical mission trip in this town called Burantuma um, in the eastern part of Guinea-Bissau. Little did we know that we knew there would be a lot of people. Little did we know that people from the town of, from the country of Guinea would cross the border. Some folks from Senegal, which is not really close to where we were in the country, came down, and their desire was to meet a doctor, a real doctor that had gone through real training, that had a real opportunity to treat them. And so all week long, we had hundreds of people every day that would shove and push and get themselves up to the gate. And it was one of those moments where you couldn't let everybody in because you couldn't treat everybody. You couldn't take care of everybody. And and I I kid you not, one of the guys that ended up being our guard, one of our American guys who was our guard, he put on these really dark sunglasses so that he could stand there and, and he could see the people, but they couldn't see them because on the other side of the fence were people who had very serious illnesses, had very Uh, long-term illnesses that were on the other side of the fence. Some we got to, some we couldn't. We couldn't treat them all. Uh, One of the ladies that came, uh, came from several miles away, and her wheelchair was not a wheelchair like you and I would have where we put our hands on the side and roll it. Her wheelchair was powered by her hands, and she would lean forward and pedal the front wheels to go. And she came from miles and miles away to see a doctor. The people were pushing, they were shoving, and just so you know how, uh, how little they have of medical care and how much they were anticipating our arrival, as we were leaving, driving back to the main city um, to have a night before we hit the airplane, we, 
we, we were stopped by the police, and that's kind of a light term, right? Uh, the police stopped us and made us uh, get off of our vehicle because they wanted um, to, treat, to be treated for their illnesses. Um, the, so the police stopped. They knew who we were. They pulled us over in this big truck and said we had to take care of them. And in the end, I think they got some ibuprofen, all right? That was a big deal. That's a big deal. And uh, so we took care of them. But all week long, there was this chaos of people who wanted to be and experience a miracle, to experience a doctor, to experience somebody who could give them blood pressure medication, who could give them something for their pain. When I come to the passage of Scripture, that moment really lays on top of Luke chapter 5 for me. Because in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus has begun teaching. He has performed a miracle uh, in the verses before, the healing of someone who has, is leprous. He has called his disciples, and they are now following him. And the crowds are growing, and the crowds grow to such a point, almost like we saw in Guinea-Bissau, the crowds are growing to such a point that not everybody can get in the room. Not everybody can get inside to meet Jesus. Now, this passage is a passage that you'll hear me come back to every couple of years because I think it is paramount for us. It highlights some things that we need to be rejuvenated, to be reminded of. And so if you've heard us talk about this passage before, um, here we go again. If you haven't, if this is a new story for you, I I hope we can immerse you in this this morning, in this moment. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 says, one, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, this is important here. Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. This signifies different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different religious preferences. They've all gathered together to come and to check out, to listen to this rabbi, this radical new teacher and to see what he's going to share with them. Luke says, though, at the end of verse 17, something important. It's, I don't think it's an insignificant moment. I think it's important. He says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Again, Luke he is a doctor. He's writing this from a doctor's perspective. He's including things to me. I see a little foreshadowing here, but also laying the groundwork for who Jesus is in this moment. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. So you got this really rare audience. Let me unpack them for you. You got the Pharisees. They're sitting on the ground. They're listening. They're huddled. They're asking questions to themselves. They are there to find holes or to examine the teaching of Jesus. Who is this religious leader? Because they were the keepers of the law. It was their responsibility for them to make sure the law was being followed. They liked to let people know they were law followers. Uh, that times they added to the law of the Old Testament They were the law followers, and they wanted to make sure that everybody was doing what they're supposed to be doing. They wanted to make sure that this new teacher was teaching the things that needed to be taught. You have the Pharisees. You've got onlookers. Without a doubt, as we go on throughout the story of Jesus, in each of these moments where there's miracles, there are people that are there to gaze upon, to investigate, and then there are also those that are there for some miracle. They want a miracle. 
They've come. They've traveled. They're pressing in. They want to see. They want to experience. Does he have something for me? Does he have a miracle? And certainly with any crowd, you had your naysayers. Those who were this there to criticize this movement. Who, who, who is he? What does he think he's doing? Why is he doing this? But verse 17 again said, The power of the Lord was with him to heal. But as we read, there was a group of men who had a friend who was paralyzed. We don't know how this took place. We don't know how long this took place. But I do want you to understand, when we think of those who have physical restrictions in our culture, thankfully, they have a lot of opportunity. In this culture, even in what we've experienced in West Africa, that is not the case. That is not the case. If you've got physical issues or struggles or disabilities, difficulties, then you are an outcast to society. I met one gentleman in Guinea-Bissau. This wasn't 10 years ago. This was a little bit closer than now, uh, back in 2014. Um, he had paralysis, and his family would pick him up, bring him out of their house in the morning, put him on this makeshift cot out front of his house in the mornings, and in the afternoons they would pick him up and they would take him inside. That was his life. There were no services to help him, there were no, no availability, definitely no handicap accessibility in their culture. This is their friend. This is what he faces every single day. And they were seeking, verse 18 continues, to bring him and lay him before Jesus. Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Verse 19 says, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of Jesus. Now, just pause right here for a moment. Don't forget the crowd that is there. You've got the religious leaders. They pressed in. They got their reservation ahead of time, right? They, 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 they got their ticket, and they're there. They knew Jesus was coming. They knew where he was going next. Hey, we're going to get inside the house. We're going to get our spot. We're religious leaders. We get the first seats, of course. That could be a sermon on its own. They're blocking the people that really need Jesus because they've got some questions for him. And so they crowd in. They've got their seats. They're ready, and they're standing there, and they're positioning themselves and you've got this situation that's churning on the outside. You've got this friend and his friends that are trying to get him in to meet Jesus, but the crowds are too big. Now, maybe they were traveling, and maybe that got close, and the guy said to his friends, hey, guys, I really appreciate the effort, but we're never going to make it in that door. I mean, you see the crowd. Or maybe he was the one that spurred him on and said, guys, come on, i got to get in to see Jesus. Or maybe they looked at him and said, man, this is our chance. This is your opportunity. Did you hear what he did in the last town? He took somebody who's leprous, who's a filth of society, and they made, he made him clean. We got a chance. We got to do what we got to do. We got to put you in front of this Jesus. So then they went Davidson County, all right? All right? Now, in Davidson County, if you're going to tear off the roof in this situation, some of you guys would get out your pocket knives, all right? You pull it out. And you're on the roof, and you start jabbing around. You go, oh, man, this is thicker than I thought. There's a lot of debate by theologians of whether this is a tile roof or a mud roof. It was a roof, all right? And they're trying to get this guy to Jesus. There's tiles on the roof. They're breaking in. Davidson County, if that didn't work, you guys would grab your winch, and you'd hook it up, and you'd start pulling it out piece by piece. And if that didn't work, you'd have some fun. You'd put a little block of tannerite in there, and you'd just make a big hole. <laughs> but whatever the case is, 
Don't clean this up. Please don't picture this as a sterile environment and everybody's sitting in nice chairs and rows and they have a methodical movement where the roof just kindly, quickly, with clean, you know, all clean, opens up. No. They started breaking through the roof and without a doubt, chunks of roof are falling down. Whoa, man, you almost hit a Pharisee. Hey, that, and the dust is coming and Jesus is about to teach. Everybody's looking, going, what, what, what's going on up here? We, we're ready for the teaching. We're ready for Jesus to, to tell us something. We've been waiting. We pressed in. And here these guys just come. Right spot? Yeah, put him down. So they lower this man down in the middle of this chaos. And it had to be chaos. I, I thought about trying to figure out a way to do this in this room this morning. Uh, it was way too expensive a sermon illustration, Right? We just put a new roof on, so that would not be good. And so, so they, they lowered this guy down into the middle of this moment. And verse 20 records for us what took place. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, you are healed. Nope. He said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I want to pause right here for a moment. Jesus recognizes and is teaching. Remember, he's teaching with the power of the Lord to heal. Those things included. And he's teaching his followers. He's teaching the skeptics. He's teaching the critics. He's teaching everyone. The greatest need that mankind has is not a physical limitation. It is a spiritual deadness. The first issue Jesus addresses is not the paralysis of the man's body, but the deadness of his sinful heart. Uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, his name is, Thib don't try to write this, okay? You, you, I'll give you the name later on. His name is Thabiti Anyabuele, all right? Re repeat that three times, just kidding, all right? Thabiti says this uh, about Luke chapter 5. He said, Jesus knew that it would be better for the man to limp into heaven than run into hell. Paralysis, he says, is nothing compared to punishment. Jesus knew. Now, these guys believed. If we can get our friend in front of Jesus, he can walk again. But what Jesus is teaching and modeling and showing is there is something greater. There is something far deeper. There is something that we cannot see that is churning inside of us at times we can see it because the effects of our sin but inside of us every one of us there is a brokenness there is a sinfulness and this man is no exception and these guys believed enough in the reputation of jesus we've got to get him to jesus this was not the original passage i was thinking about preaching um, for this week and just through the last week and a half having some time to, to think and pray and uh, this one just jumped all over me because it, it led me to ask a couple questions that I want to I throw back um, at you and us wrestle through it together, if that's okay. Is why are these guys there? They are there on the roof because they believe they're totally committed, right, wrong, or indifferent. They are totally committed to getting their friend in front of Jesus. So why am I here? Not here, here, in this room here. 
not here, here in this church here, but why am I here? Like, what purpose does my life have? Oh, you're a pastor. No, what, more important than that. What, well, you're, you're a dad. No, no, no. What purpose do you have? Why are you here? I have a purpose. You have a purpose. We collectively have the same purpose. You may not know it. It is to bring glory to God and lead people into a relationship with him. That's not me. That's biblical. That's Matthew chapter 28. That's who you are called. That is the purpose of the church. That is the purpose for every follower of Jesus Christ is for you who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, live a life in such a way that it leads people to Jesus, to glorify Jesus and lead others into a relationship with him. That's why you and I are here. So going into 2019, I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to let that churn around, churn and, and play its way out in your mind. Why are you here to bring glory to God and lead people into a relationship with him? And then I just ask myself this question. What am I willing to do in order to bring people to Jesus? I, I got to ask this question every so often. It's been a couple years in this passage, but these men are resilient. The front door is blocked. The back door, block. The roof, go for it. I don't know about you, but if we were to fast forward this to 2019, we'd pull up in the parking lot and we'd go, mm, man, gosh, i got to park way back there. Biscuitville's still open. Like, we'd we just head on. I mean, it's crowded. There's a lot of people. We had to put out extra seats, which is crazy. But I'm not asking you about inviting somebody to church. I'm asking you, what are you willing to do to introduce people to Jesus? Let's drill down a little bit. What are you willing to do in your own life, with your life, through your life, that is going to lead people to desire a relationship to Jesus? What we're talking about is not simply saying, hey, would you come to church with me, or would you come to this event with me that's coming up at our church? That's great. That's awesome. But would you allow me to live life with you? Would you? Can I walk with you through your suffering? You may not be able to ask that, but in your heart, in your mind, you're going, you know what, I, I see that person, I see their pain, I see their difficulty, I'm not leaving them alone, I'm going to walk with them, they've made some poor decisions, I'm going to go with them, they've made some decisions that have led to some consequences, I'm going to help them through those things, I'm going to walk through them, they are living a life that's not pleasing to the Lord, but I'm going to lovingly show them the truth of God's word, and I'm going to live life in front of them to such a way that they're going, man, this guy will dig through the roof. They'll dig through the roof. Because see here, people who believe that Jesus can perform spiritual miracles do not allow circumstances to keep us from introducing people to Jesus. These guys didn't have a clue. No way. We're not stopping. We're going. Translation, let's put it in 2019. Man, the parking lot's full. Hey, go grab a bulldozer. Pick that guy's car up and move it out of the way. We'll put your car right there. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit insane, doesn't it? They don't do a fly-by invite. They don't make the easy way. They don't hand them a Bible and say, go figure it out on your own. They pick up. Now, here's what I want you to think about for a minute. This guy lived on that mat. He lived, breathed, ate, 
everything on that mat. It's not a clean mat. It doesn't have somebody that comes along and disinfects that mat. It's nasty. It's dirty. But these guys knew we have a shot. We love him. We care about him. We believe in him. We believe in who's inside that building, and we're going to get people to him. But the reality is for us that people are not going to follow us and say, hey, would you, would you come to church with me? I know that I'm not living an obedient Christian life, but if you'd come to church with me, I think it would change your life. No, they've got to see our lives first. Before they'll step in and listen to me preach or someone teach, they've got to watch your life lived. That's, that's disciple making. That's being a follower who leads people to Jesus. Replicates that. It's not just saying, hey, I'll meet you in the parking lot and hopefully you'll show up. No, it is, hey, I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll sit in the hospital with you. I will cry with you. I will encounter life with you because I've experienced new life. I want to show you new life. People won't believe it any other way. And we cannot give up easily. But there's kind of an elephant in the room right here in verse 20. Man, your sins are forgiven. Okay, but I sure would like to go out that door a different way. There's still the obvious. He is there, and he is paralyzed, and he's not going anywhere. But the Pharisees got some questions. And they're good questions. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That second question is not a bad question. They're exactly right. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Check. Got that part right. But what they are underestimating is that standing in front of them is God made flesh who's dwelling among them, who is performing and giving new life to people. He's healing lepers. He's calling the disciples. He's saying, you guys come and follow me. I'll lead you to become fishers of men. You stick with me. They were underestimating who was in front of them. Was their question right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yes. But they were overlooking, standing in front of them. Jesus was able to forgive because Jesus was fully God made flesh. And as verse 17 tells us, he had the authority and the power of the Lord to heal. Now, verse 22 is a dangerous verse, all right? This is a scary verse for me. It, it, maybe it should shock us all a little bit. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, uh, your translation may say something like this. It may say, when Jesus knew what was on their minds, or when Jesus could tell what was on their hearts. Now, I don't know if it was, he looked at them and locked on and went, ooh, I know what you're thinking. But he knew that sitting on the sideline were some Pharisees going, who does that? The, who, what kind of blasphemy is that? Only God alone can do that. And Jesus perceived their thoughts. And he says, why do you question with your hearts? Yes, yeah, yeah, you. Pharisee number four, why do you question with your hearts? Let's just lay it out there, guys. 
And then he says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Weigh it out. Which one's easier? Your sins are forgiven. It takes place on the inside. Where's the verification of that? Rise up and walk. Conquering physical limitations. Pandemonium had to follow. There are questioning. They're sitting around in circles going, I never thought about that. And let's talk about it a little bit. And Jesus doesn't give them time. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. So that you know who I am on earth. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. A couple things I want you to see there. Jesus did not say, rise and go. He said, rise, pick up your bed, and go. I think this is important. I think this is important. He doesn't say, rise, go get a shower because you haven't in a while. Get cleaned up and then travel with me on the circuit and I'll let you be the first testimony up. No, he says, rise, take up your dirty, filthy couch, your bed that you've been laying on your entire life out front of your house, grab that thing and walk out the door. I promise you, nobody was, was in the way. Red Sea parts, all right? This guy just goes down. He grabs his stuff. You know what was represented on that couch? Pain and suffering. You know what was represented on that filth? Was years and years of questions, years of why is this me, years of ostracized, years of pain. And he says, take it with you because I don't want anybody in the community to not think this is you. I want everybody to know when you're walking around carrying that thing, they go, whoa, that's him. He's been on that front porch his whole life. He's carried that pain his whole life. And there he is, and he's glorifying God. You see in this passage, Jesus doesn't say get cleaned up and present yourself as perfect, and then you will glorify the Lord. He says, take your stuff and let the world know that Jesus has changed you. Glorify him. Take your difficulties and use those as your testimony. Use those as your story and take it with you. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. They saw, all saw. I have to take into account all Saul includes those that were there for the teaching, scribes, Pharisees. This is radical. All of them saw. They began glorifying God and were filled with awe. Mark chapter 2 says, And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let us put this a little bit in our southern vernacular. We ain't seen nothing like this. We ain't never seen anything like this. This is mind-boggling. This guy, we know his story. We know his past. We know where he's been. So why are we here? To dig through roofs. To dig through roofs. To introduce people to Jesus 
to give them an opportunity to have a relationship with God so they can glorify God and they can lead people to Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why Jesus gave us the command of Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. That's who you are. I don't know if you knew that every one of us has the same calling on our lives. Whether you're a pastor, a teacher, a golf cart driver, whether you serve coffee and the countless other roles that I'm missing out on a Sunday morning. We're called to live our lives in front of coworkers, parents, teachers, even on a Saturday. Oof. Teachers, coworkers, businessmen. God has given you a business to own and to run so that you can bring glory to God and lead people to Jesus. He's given you skills in your place and your plant. Why? To bring glory to God and lead people to Jesus. He's given you talents to sing, to do what? To give glory to God and bring people to Jesus. He's given you love and compassion and mercy for those that are sick. Why? To bring glory to God and lead people to Jesus. He's given you the gifts of being a nurse or a doctor or a, a medical clinician. So why? So you can bring glory to God and lead people to Jesus. He's given you the ability to preach or teach in a Sunday school or in a public school setting. Why? To bring glory to God and lead people to Jesus. That's why we are here. Well, Pastor, I like to sing, and, and I, I, I like to go on mission trips. Yeah, I, to bring glory to God and lead people to Jesus. You got it. Out, out front on, on our church, there's a sign that says Rich Fork, and underneath it, it says, to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. That is, bringing glory to God and leading people to Jesus. It's who we are. Per instructions of Jesus, we are called to lead people to Jesus, love them to Jesus, walk them to Jesus, crawl with them to Jesus, dig a hole in the roof to Jesus, walk through pain with people to Jesus, teach people life skills to get them to understand and grasp their need for Jesus, open the Bible and sit down with people and teach them how to study God's Word and show them Jesus. We are here to make disciples by doing what? Bringing glory to God and leading people to Jesus. And in doing so, shape this community by sharing the grace of Jesus. That's why Rich Fork is placed in Davidson County in 2019. That's why it's been here for a hundred and so many odd years. My math's not good on the spot. Because I believe that it is the same God who worked a miracle in this man's life, who forgave him of his sins, is the same God that we have the privilege of introducing people to every single day of our lives. Not just on Sunday mornings when the pastor's preaching, but every day of our lives. I got a text message. I usually don't check between services, but check my text message between services and I got a message from somebody in the first service who said I heard you preach this message a couple years ago and I just want you to know when I heard, first heard it preached I wasn't a follower of Jesus but somebody's loved me to Jesus and now I've led other people to Jesus I just want to say thanks for helping me realize that I need to lead people to Jesus and those moments should lead us to desire to be a church in accordance with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. It says, we have 
We want to see more than you could ever imagine so that we can look back on 2019 and not go, man, it was a good year, it was a good business year, we turned a profit, or, you know, this was a great year, or, hey, in my, in my career path, you know, uh, the, the, the kids, they all graduated, that's awesome. But that we look back at 2019 collectively, individually as a church, and we go, we have seen things that we have never imagined could happen. That's what I want. That's what I want 2019 to look like, is that we've turned the page in January 1st, 2020. We look back over the year and go, we never imagined that you could do that here. But now I want us to, quickly, I want us to see this. In that crowd there, in Luke 5, we've got to be careful because... There's pieces of that crowd that exist even with us today, all right? Let me just break that down for you. And that day, they had the Pharisees, they had the onlookers, they had the naysayers, they had the ones wanting healing. We got to be careful, all right? Some of those same crowds are found in this room, the super religious. Now, that's me. I grew up in church, okay? Grew up in church, went to church, was baptized in church. Um, I studied the Word, but if I'm not careful... Okay, I know the answer, like when I was a kid in Sunday school, if I didn't know the answer, it was Jesus, right? Got me out of a lot of a trouble, all right, at times, in growing up in church. You, that, that's the answer. It's true. I know the answers. But sometimes while I am being religious, asking the one question that's never been solved in the history of Christendom, there's somebody behind me looking over my shoulder and going, man, if you could get out of the way, I'd like to get to Jesus, if you could turn around and tell me about Jesus instead of keep asking questions about Jesus, I'd love to get to meet him. I'm not saying there's not a great need for us to know the things of God. Absolutely. It scares me, though, this, the super-religious had blocked those who needed most. There's the super-religious, there's the broken in need of miracles. That may be you today. It's quite obvious there were those who were broken. You follow the story of Jesus in the Gospels, Every place he went, there were those that were broken in need of miracles, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Your pain is your past. Your hurt is what you carry. And I want to remind you today that the same God who has forgiven this man of his sins is the same God who offered himself as a payment for your sins so that you could have a relationship with God. There are those in this passage that are desperate, there are the doubters with the question. There are the friends on the roof digging people to Jesus one roof at a time. Why are we here? To glorify God and lead people into a graceful relationship with Jesus. Followers who make followers. So I want to ask you to do something this morning. I don't want to ask you 14 questions that you got to pose. I want to ask you one question that has one answer, all right? It's going to be super easy. Who is one person that you will be praying for, that you will be pursuing, that you will be asking God to help you pursue, that you will be praying that God opens the door for you, that you'll be digging the roof out of your house. You'll dig, you'll do whatever you've got to do to introduce one, per who's the one person that God is calling you to introduce to Jesus? Who's the one person that you'll say, man, I'll dig 
I love them. I've been praying for them. I, I'm going to keep praying for them. That's great. Who, who's the person? And make 2019 a year that at the end of the year, that you, they still may be pursuing. At the year, end of the year, they may still be skeptical. But at the end of the year, you're still going to be praying. But also at the end of the year, they may have committed their lives to Christ and may have grown in their faith and be leading people to Jesus. Who is the one person that you are so much of their lives, you love them so dearly that you want them lowered down in front of Jesus to be forgiven of their sin? That's the gravity of why you're here. That's the gravity of why I'm here. One person. 2019. Maybe more, but at least one. Who doesn't know Jesus. Who's not walking with Jesus. Let's pray.